Welcome back to FreightWaves Global Supply Chain Week. I'm Kaylee Nix here with another fireside chat. Today we've got Andrew Lockwood of Suddeth Logistics down in Orlando, Florida, where hopefully it's a little warm and a little sunny down there. Andrew, how's it going today? You know, I, I was looking around for the fire since it's a fireside <laughs> chat. It's it's uh it's nice and 70 degrees. So I know it's a little warmer than uh, than where probably most of y'all are in the country today. You know, Chattanooga has been a little bit on the cold side, so I'm looking for that fire as well. But nice to know that you're staying warm. You're fresh off an appearance on Midday Market Update here, so you're familiar with the Freight Waves runaround. How was that appearance for you the first time that you met with some of our hosts? It's always fun to be on Freight Waves and talk Final Mile and uh, and logistics. There's so much happening in the world there, and that's where I, you know, I just love the, uh, you know, love the conversation and the and the information back and forth. Well, we're super excited to have you and really glad that you're joining us as part of our Global Supply Chain Week. Massive eight-day event talking all aspects of supply chain. And today we're talking a little bit more about final miles specifically for manufacturers and manufacturers who have kind of cut out the middleman and gone for this non-traditional system of getting product from manufacturer directly to consumer. So 2020, the last entire year really, the buzzword of the year feels like it should have been disruption, right? COVID came in through a wrench and everything and really just disrupted the way that we know supply chain as it was before the entire global pandemic. Talk to me a little bit about your three maybe key points of what was disrupted in the last year. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit on it. And disruption's been the buzzword, but uh, but everyone's kind of ready to move on from, yeah, COVID happened, so what? Uh, so what I'm seeing, you know, especially in, in my job right now, there's a, so many supply chains looking for, uh, you know, to really retool and redesign how they get their goods to the market. Um, we're seeing just this in just, you know, lots of different ways. From a disruption standpoint, you have, uh, you know, a lot of manufacturers trying to get stuff out of Asia, imported into the U.S. Uh, the, the ports are clogged up. You've got shipping delays. Uh, just looking at the spot market rates last year, it, you know, it was 30, 40 percent increase from the previous year. So uh, in general, we're seeing transportation and supply chain costs going up. We're seeing lead times. Uh, there's crazy variability there. In fact, there was a, this uh, survey sh uh, ship station released last year. And with the onset of COVID, consumer expectations from a lead time standpoint shifted from five days to eight days. Um, so there's just a, a whole bunch of change that's going on there, um, you know, from a disruption standpoint. Let me point this out, too. And this is a, you know, this is a fun stat to keep, uh, you know, under your hat so you can use in the next meeting. But 21% of retail sales last year uh, were done online as opposed to bricks and mortar stores. Think about that. So 21% e-commerce versus traditional bricks and mortar. And you're like, Andrew, what, why should I care about that? Well, that's a 50% increase in two years from where it was two years ago. So when we talk about disruption, I think it's good to put numbers to that. Um, yeah, anecdotally, we feel that in our supply chains in different ways, uh, but consumers are really changing how they're buying things and then what their expectations are uh, in the final mile for the delivery piece. So when we think about the way that things have changed in the last year, we focus a lot on the habits that shippers have had to change and the consumer buying habits. But what about that middleman, that brick and mortar store who has experienced that loss? When we take them out of the equation, what does that mean for goods being delivered from manufacturer to consumer without the person in the middle to handle that maybe delivery or that storefront for purchasing? 
Yeah, I think it just adds a lot to the complexity of what you need to consider, especially if you're, you know, if you're watching this, listening to this, you're a shipper or a manufacturer. When you talk about going direct to the consumer, um, you know, I, I like to say, hey, start with the backward, you know, from a backwards point of view. What do you want that experience to be like? Uh, what, are we delivering a tube of toothpaste or is this, uh, you know, a large appliance that needs to be installed or shelves? You know, start with what is that experience need to look like and then work backwards. You make a great point. I mean, there's a lot of supply chains looking to skip uh, the, the middle distribution points or even the stores now. Um, you're seeing some interesting stuff from like the Walmarts and Targets of the world with this whole acronym BOPIS, B-O-P-I-S, uh, buy online, pick up in store. And so effectively, again, this, this conversation is about final mile. In those models, the consumer is the final mile. They're going directly to the distribution center, the local warehouse, you, you, there's some buzzwords there, or the, the true bricks and mortar store and still picking up, but they're foregoing the shopping experience. Um, for our shippers out there, that's a that can be a really good thing. It, there's a lot of efficiencies to be gained if you know, hey, I'm gonna be there in an hour, here's the shopping list, I need you to go through the warehouse or the store, go and pick it, put it in a bag, and I'm gonna pick it up in an hour. Uh, fewer people in your store, it's COVID friendly, the list goes on and on. But yeah, I think what I'm seeing in, in my world is depending on who the customer is, what the product or service that is being provided there, you're seeing some forego the middle the middle, middle pieces of the supply chain. Others are retooling or retrofitting what they are, in essence, uh, to be a, a better part of their distribution strategy. So you mentioned that focus aspect. Kind of anecdotally, and maybe just to add a little bit of context, I've got a side gig here in Chattanooga. I work at Lululemon, which is an athletic retail store. Worked there for three holiday seasons now, and we chose to implement the Bocus option back in May when we reopened with COVID safe policies. And we had cut store capacity down to only 10 people at the smallest point. And I will say that just from personal experience, our utilization of that Bocus technology, that idea of hey, I'm going to reduce my risk of exposure by not coming into the store, but I still want to support these people and I still want to get the goods that I want. I'm going to do that and make it in the lowest contact option possible. And we saw that skyrocket specifically with all our store. And we also do a lot of our online orders. We do what's called a ship from store. So we'll go and we're the product pickers. We print the packing label, we package it and we drop it for FedEx and then they take it out. So we're kind of that middleman between what the consumer wants and getting it out to them as well, which, you know, I wouldn't have thought of that until having this conversation with you. No, it's very true. And, and you make a great point because, you know, in the fashion industry, uh, you think about it, if you're shipping something, I mean, it's the shipping, the, the, the lowest level shipping cost, it's going to be a few dollars. If you look at USPS, you're talking four or $5, FedEx, UPS, uh, you know, standard rates are going to be a little more than that. And then maybe, you know, your company gets a, a, a discount off of that. So it's, it's you know, still fairly cheap. But, uh, you know, in general, Business Insider had this, um, another survey, and they said basically 53% of the total cost of shipping is in that final mile. So, um, you know, in your circumstance, you've got the parcel offerings. I can, I can do, I can buy it online and, and have you ship it to me for a nominal fee. Or maybe I, you know, those few dollars are important to me as a consumer, and I want to just pick it up at your store. Um, I, again, I think there's, I, I guess that brings me to point number two. There's really no one size uh, fits all solution here. It's very much about the product, the experience, and how your supply chains, um, you know, structured. 
you know, I think about um, the difference between fashion appliances. Uh, to, we talked about tubes of toothpaste. I, I'm sorry, I'm not. I'm just not going to pay shipping on a tube of toothpaste unless it's with a bag of groceries, or I can go pick it up. Uh, something like clothing, and and I'd be interested to know your thoughts here. I think America's, you know, most consumers are kind of divided here. They like to try on clothes. They like the experience of shopping. Um, some are just, hey, I want to forego all that. It's a hassle. I have to get in my car. It's not COVID, you know, as COVID friendly. I just want to point and click, get my things in two days, and move on with my life. Uh, from your from your own circumstance, what does that break? Is it 50-50 that you're seeing, or is it, you know, 80-20? What do you think? You know, I wouldn't necessarily give it a percentage because I think it truly varies from person to person. Like you said, there's not a one-size-fits-all solution. People aren't going to be happy with the this or that of what we're doing on the retail side. And I think that that brings up something that I've seen talked about a lot in the last few weeks, few months, is how good your experiences as a consumer with the goods that you're buying can also factor in or be influenced by how good is the returns process when something that you got doesn't necessarily work. And, you know, I've talked to Andrew Cox a lot about this. As far as the retail side goes, a lot of retailers see massive costs in the reverse logistics in that reversal of the final mile. Well, you know, I didn't like this, I'm gonna send it back. Now they have to drop it off at a UPS or FedEx location and then ship it back. So I guess I would say that as far as my experience with people coming into return goods specifically to Lululemon, we see a lot of people who come and will say, you know, I ordered this, I ordered three of this item because I wasn't sure of my size. Um, let me come and return it in the store, either get store credit, find the size color that I like, or just get my money back. And I think that the interesting thing that we've seen is a lot of our goods, they go back out on our sales floor after being held in an isolation period to keep it COVID safe. Our goods will go back on our sales floor. If they're a regular part of our in-store inventory, they'll be kept at full price. Or if there's something that has come back and you know is maybe a one-off, like a one-off random color or a random shirt that's offered online but not in-store, a lot of times we'll mark it down and we'll put it on our markdown shelf and it'll fly out the door the next day. So specifically with our retail experience, it's been kind of this, I wouldn't say surprising factor because I would have expected people, you know, I myself, I've bought multiples of things and then returned them if I didn't like them or they didn't fit, kept the one that did fit. So I think it's that shift in consumer behavior that's really being seen as well. And it does have an impact. It has an impact on how much product we have on our in our store, but then it also has a product or an impact on those shipping costs coming back for people that aren't able to return those to brick and mortar stores. Hmm. And that's a great point. I mean, returns in of itself, you know, I think there's different ways to, to view that from a, from a cost standpoint. I, look, here's my challenge to everyone that's watching and listening to this uh, that, that does produce or is in charge of a supply chain is there's a story to be told where supply chain costs and shipping costs are not just uh, it just part of doing the business, that it just hits your expense line. No, I, th I think it has um, this indirect way of shaping what the product experience is. Here's what I mean by that. Um, the returns, and you mentioned for some, for some retailers, I mean, it, it's a large number, but how much more willing is a consumer to buy from your store, buy your products because you have these return policies in place? Um, so even though, you know, on the on the profit and loss statement, it can be viewed as purely an expense. It may actually be a really strong uh, reason why consumers want to do business with you. You make returns easy. 
Um, we can dive into the economics of it, uh, you know, and, and that's where that's a whole nother discussion in and of itself where final mile cost, uh, the, per, the perceived value of it from a consumer standpoint is probably going to be different than what it actually truly is. Uh, because it, you know, it, it, the costs continue to go up and we can dive into that. But yeah, return, I thought returns is when I heard that, you know, that uh, the consumer's mentality towards ease of returns and ease of doing business with somebody is, is something to be, you know, something to think about. So let me ask you this. If you're a shipper and you're looking at metrics to figure out, okay, how can I better target my consumer audience? How can I tap into what they're wanting? What are some of the metrics that you're going to be looking at most to try and gain some of that insight about what the people you're, who are buying from you really, truly want, therefore what you can do better to cater to their needs? Yeah, I think one thing that, that I automatically think about is, is just this metric of freight or shipping as a percentage of revenue. And there's no right target there. I think it, it all depends on what you're making. I mean, for example, uh, let's talk about appliances. So if you go to one of the big box retailers or maybe your your local appliance store and and you're interested in this $600 uh, dryer uh, you know what's a reasonable price in in a consumer's mind to deliver that from that bricks and mortar location inside their home and that may include going up a flight of stairs and hooking up the uh, the dryer vent and uh, and plugging in the electricity and so from what i've found and just some of the 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 survey work that i've done on my own over the past year there's a sweet spot there for appliances and uh, and electronics, you know, around $100 to $150. You're going to come across some that are, you know, they're going to be a little bit less. You're going to, you know, definitely come across some that are more. But that to me is really the larger item sweet spot. Now, um, if you, you know, if you think about smaller items, obviously the shipping is going to be a lot less. You buy something randomly off Amazon. Uh, and I was thinking about this today. I don't have any 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 market insight other than just the logic here. But we pay for an Amazon Prime membership. Let's say it's ninety nine dollars. Um, and I and I randomly surveyed my Amazon driver in my neighborhood the other day, and I just I said, Hey, how many stops are you making today? So he had one hundred eight stops that day. That was a light day for him. Uh, he said, In general, it's one hundred forty. So start doing the math. Let's just say a delivery, an individual delivery for Amazon's five dollars. Uh, and you start doing the math and you're, so you start to get a, a good sense of the economic puzzle here for carriers to what the problem Amazon has to solve there, uh, as well as as, you know, shippers. Um, so back to your question from a metrics, you know, your freight, your logistics, final mile shipping costs as a percentage of your revenue, what should be reasonable? Um, and then if you and again, start with the end in mind, what do you what do you want the experience to be? You know, is it just a dryer delivery or do you want the, you know, the customer? This is the big unboxing moment, right? There may, may not be a YouTube video that comes with it, um, but this is a big deal. They just, you know, bought a dryer. If they have to go and get a, you know, pickup truck from their Uncle Jimmy and, and then drive across town and load it in with their best, you know, best friend, it, it, it's not as much fun. So uh, no, it's a, it, that's a good, good jumping off point. So I'm, I'm part of the TikTok generation, right? I'm on TikTok all the time. And my For You page is constantly inundated with these product hauls and like, this is what I found on Amazon today and all of this. And that's on the small parcel side. But I also, I follow with like a pretty significant amount of influencers who have made some pretty big purchases over their quarantine, specifically fitness influencers who maybe have gotten into the idea of purchasing a Nordic track or a Peloton bike. 
And you talk about that massive unboxing and, you know, the excitement that leads up to it. And then for Peloton, for the example, a lot of them have expressed this massive disappointment because they're in the groups of people who were quoted eight to 12 weeks for delivery. And then it was 16 and then it was 20 and then it was 24. So maybe using the case of Peloton, maybe just using that case of the big unboxing experience in general, talk to me a little bit about how important it is for consumer sentiment and for just consumer attitude when things don't go right on those deliveries and they don't get that experience that they're looking for. Oh, such a good point. And I'm glad you brought that up because the honesty is really, I mean, let's go back to the basics here. You know, some golden rules here in life. You got to tell the truth to your consumers. if I know that it's going to be a long lead time, at least I know, and I can make an educated decision based on what I want to do. I think when you see these negative Google reviews and just frustration in the marketplace, it's because a bag of goods has been sold and, and that bag of goods has not exactly been delivered or at least on time. Um, $3,000 now, has been shelled out for a bicycle. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, here's what I do like about, and, and again, uh, random neighborhood surveys here in Orlando, Florida. <laughs> so I'll, I'll be running around the neighborhood. Uh, usually behind a stroller with my kids in it. And again, I, I saw a Peloton delivery in, in process. Shiny van, the two team members have their uniforms on. Like it's a big deal. You bought a Peloton, you're getting it delivered in your driveway. And, uh, and, it, and it looked like a great experience. Like they were both standing on their porch outside their front door, just super psyched that the shiny Peloton van was delivering it. Um, you know, going back to the experience. But yeah, I think to, to your point, with, with the, the disruption we've seen, stuff's going to happen. Your, your, your product's going to be delayed coming out of Asia, or um, you know, there's going to be some kind of event where you're not able to deliver on time. But more than that, I think giving consumers visibility, updates, whatever that looks like, use the technology to your advantage. Um, you know, it, it, it at least shows that you're trying to play offense with what you're delivering rather than taking a defensive posture and, you know, it, and then getting all these negative Google reviews. And it just it, it's a bad, vicious cycle to get into. So, you know, anytime I can help educate, you know, shippers or manufacturers, hey, play offense with your consumers. They can be your best advocates. And in, in, in from what you've seen, too, I mean, you, we see some negative reviews that cancel culture is real, whether we like it or not. Uh, and so how we deal with 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 folks, especially the younger generations, I, I, there's a huge desire for visibility. Where does this stuff come from? Uh, what is it like? What, what's inside of it? And the more information we can give and the less kind of, I, I just call it BS marketing, the less BS marketing, the more true information, visibility, the better off you're going to be from a uh, uh, in, in handling those situations. So circling back to the loss of that middleman between the manufacturer and the consumer. So we take it, we've taken out that brick and mortar store. Consumer receives a product. They're not necessarily happy with it. They've got to send it back to their manufacturer. If you could offer one piece of advice to manufacturers who are maybe new to this whole having to handle that final mile delivery, final mile experience themselves, what would that piece of advice be? Oh, gosh, Uh, it's a tough question because there's so many different uh, different paths to go, you know, go down with that. But, um, you know, dealing with the returns that can, you can take what is perceived as a negative expense, uh, there to, to your advantage, make it right. I, I think back to one of the largest, uh, opportunities I, I was able to be a part of, and it dealt with actually taking a, a damaged product experience on the electronics end. And this company was willing to go, you know, drive in, in this case, several hundred miles to customer locations 
swap out the product at no cost, take back the damaged product. And essentially they understood this whole idea that when you do the right thing by the consumer, it's a little bit of a pay it forward you know, mentality. Yes, there's a cost to do that. Uh, but you, you have somebody's buying power and loyalty for, for a long time after that. So um, that's definitely one thing to be considered. I, and again, I, I'm going to go back to this point. Start with the end in mind. What do you want that to be? One great example that came up this week, and, and I'll kind of leave it with the, uh, leave it with this example, is um, neat technology. You've seen the emergence of the she sheds and the home offices that are they're kind of modular uh, modular type uh, you know deals where you can ship these and put one in your backyard because everyone's staying at home with COVID. And while I love this guy's idea, his dimensions are going to require an over, oversized, overweight tractor trailer. And I'm like, oh, man, if you just started with the end in mind, right, what can be shipped like realistically? And how, how do you package it together? And then let's work backwards because that experience and how you deliver it is everything. Start at the end. It's going to reduce your costs at the forefront, right? That's it. So many headaches alleviated when you start at the end. Only we had a crystal ball to tell us what the end is going to be like in every situation, you know? That's that's true. All right, Andrew. Well, if people want to get in touch with you, they want to learn more about what you do down in Southern Logistics in Orlando, maybe you want to come spend some time on the beach. That would be nice right now. That's right. <laughs> but, uh, that's right. You to get a hold of you. Yeah. So you can always email me, andrew.lockwood at suddeth.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, there's lots of different ways to get a hold of me, but I would love to talk logistics. There's there's so many different fun aspects of uh, of Final Mile and just the industry in general. And I love just you know being able to connect with others like yourself to uh, to talk through uh, different things like this. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, thanks for being here. And I certainly learned a lot. If you guys learned a lot, just remember we've got several more days left of things to do. Great conversations to have during our Global Supply Chain Week. Stick around. Lots more information coming up. And thanks to Andrew again. We'll be back.